right, thanks for downloading this week's episode of Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. We're going to talk about four theological pillars with which to train our imagination. And then Pastor Brian Ketchumar comes on to talk about forgiveness of sins from God and for our neighbors, specifically for our spouse. Here it comes, Cross Defense. All right, welcome to Cross Defense. Every week we... Oh, man, I love it. When that music starts, like, hey, we should do a radio show. That's a good idea. Glad you guys are listening in. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. And we every week we take up the various miscellaneous, sometimes surprising, never quite expected theological topics to set your... Well, to set your theological imagination on fire. I remember one time I used to work for this company that did, did uh, adventure travel in the outback of Australia. And one of the guys that we'd go and ride horses with in the Daintree rainforest would. We I went to his house one time and he had a, and he had just like a a cast iron pot of lard on his stove, and whenever it was dinner time, he'd just fire it up and it would it would melt and he'd fry whatever he wanted to eat. And then he'd let it go, and it'd cool off. So he had this just this huge chunk of lard there that he'd use over and over. And every time he'd he'd, he'd uh, turn on the heat and loosen it up, get it ready to fry, you'd find a little surprise from the from the evening before. You know, a little potato chip or some sort of fried vegetable. Anyway, we are we are lighting the fire so that the lard turns into cooking oil when it comes to your theology. How's that for it? illustration we're going to talk about in the first segment the four four important theological pillars this will be fun this i think you guys are really going to like this and then after that we're going to have pastor brian ketchumar we haven't talked to pastor ketchumar in a while he's going to come on and surprise us with something he's always got something luthery or old testamenty or biblically e he uh he wrote this book reading isaiah with luther just fantastic because I love Pastor Ketchemeyer and I love Luther and I love Isaiah and so they're all cooked up all together. So we'll see what he wants to talk about. He'll surprise us uh, in the last part of the show. But 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 to get started, I want to talk about four theological pillars and let's let let's these, these are going to be like four theological stakes in the ground with which you can sort of orient yourself when it comes to thinking about theology. Now let me tell you, let me show you how I got there. Do you want to know the pillars first, or should I tell the story first? I don't know. A good radio host would know what to do. I, I'll, I'll tell you what they are. They are creation, incarnation, redemption, and resurrection. Creation, incarnation, redemption, and resurrection. Four theological pillars. Now, let me tell you the story, how I got there. I was reading along one time in the, in the old Lutherans about this debate they were having. This is after Luther died. Remember, one of the strong things with Luther was the doctrine of original sin, and he, he, in some ways, restored the doctrine of original sin that we're fallen, that we can't save ourselves, that we are like the person on the commercial in Florida. I've fallen, and I can't get up. We are unable to rescue ourselves and redeem ourselves. That means that's why Jesus has to be our redeemer, our savior, and so forth. And so, the doctrine of original sin had a bit of a revival in the Reformation times, in the Reformation days. But a couple of the Lutherans got a bit carried away, and they were saying things like, we are original sin. Man is sin, almost as if that was a definition. Man is sin. And after Luther died, there was all these controversies, and that was one of them. 
And I said, how should we think about this? Man is sin. It doesn't seem right to us. It doesn't seem biblical. Now, it's true that man is so corrupted by sin. Man is so thoroughly uh, encapsulated by sin and captured, with, and that sin goes all the way down, that, that, that we're almost totally engulfed by sin. That's true. But we don't want to say that we are sin. We're like a um, we're like an old piece of metal that's been corroded with rust all the way through. And if you if you just scrape it off, you'd find rust, 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 rust. But that doesn't mean it is it is rust. It means it's a rusted piece of metal. And we are human beings are sinful, but we are not sin. There's a distinction. And here's how they made the argument. This is so great. These old Luther, it's probably Chemnitz, some of these guys. They said, hey, look, God created man, but he didn't create sin. Therefore, man is not sin. Jesus became a man, and yet Jesus did not become sin. Therefore, man is not sin. Jesus redeemed humanity, and yet he did not redeem sin. Therefore, man is not sin. And on the last day, God will, the Holy Spirit will raise all of humanity to the resurrection of the body and life everlasting, and we Christians will be raised in, in perfection, in total perfection, and yet we will not have sinned. We will be fully human and not sinful. Therefore, man is not sin. Man is sinful, but man is not sin. Now, do you, now do you see that? This is just a gorgeous argument, but we want to go from the minor point to the major point and say that these three things, creation... That God created us. He didn't create sin, but he created us. Incarnation, that God became a man. Redemption, that Christ died for us. And the resurrection, the end of the world. That these are four theological pillars with which we can constantly orient our own theology. So, In, in other words, uh, we, can, we can answer some of these basic questions. In fact, I think, you know, one of the things that guys talk about now is worldview. Everybody's talking about worldview. And I wish, I wish I had a better word than worldview. And why? Because as soon as we start talking about like a Christian worldview, we assume that there's other equally valid worldviews. It used to be in the old days, like 10 years ago or whatever, that we usually say, well, there's true and false. You've got a true view of the world and a bajillion false views of the world. But now, worldview, it leads to the impression that everybody's different view of the world has various degrees of legitimacy. I just, I think the language encapsulates that sort of thing. That's why I don't like it. But I don't have a better word for it. So until you guys figure out a better word than worldview, we're going to have to use it. But these, but your worldview, your way of looking at the world will have a lot of these fundamental questions. Like, who am I? What, what is humanity? Who is my neighbor? Where did we come from? Where are we going? What's gone wrong? How can we fix it? All these sort of very basic questions that every person has to ask when it comes to being a, a person that's alive and interacting in the world, all those basic questions can be helpfully answered if we if we kind of arrange our thinking around these four theological pillars remember creation incarnation redemption and resurrection so let's try who am i you remember the old philosophers like aristotle and and all those guys they always like to talk about man as a rational creature 
Like, we are beasts with a mind, something like that. That was the picture. Now, that's an incomplete picture, but it's better than how people think about ourselves. Now, I mean, how? just think about, have you ever sat back and asked, how, how, does, the, how does the culture want me to think about who I am? How does the culture want to define my own identity? I think you guys, again, can tell me what you think about this. And if you want to get a hold of me, I've got this old website over there, wolfmuller.co, and there's a contact button. That's probably the best way to send me emails. I'm getting a lot of emails on that thing, and I actually I ch- I check it all the time. And if all the time means once a week. So that's a good way to get a hold of me. And if you have thoughts on this, I would really love your feedback because this is a bit of an experimental thought. But I think that that our culture wants to think of us internally as consumed and externally as consuming. So who am I? I'm a victim of all these bad things that have happened to me. That's what defines my soul and defines my heart and defines my humanity. It just seems to me like when you when you listen to people talking, they're they're in one way or another sort of unfolding their own victimhood and I'm supposed to think that that matters for who I am. I am consumed, I am wounded, I am I'm I'm beat up or I'm deflated or destroyed or I'm afflicted on the inside that I'm consumed, internally consumed, and that's my identity. A lot of this has to do with identity politics. I mean, when when you're sitting around talking about, you know, who, what... What people group is the most despised? And we have this kind of intersectionality where uh, you have your, uh, it, it, you know, depending on if you're a man or a woman, you're you're have some sort of you have a higher intersectionality, and depend on the minority of your race and the minority of your sexual orientation and the minority the status of your gender identity. And the more that those intersect with one another, then the more your voice has to be amplified. This is all simply defining me internally by my victimhood or by by my oppression, by who has destroyed me internally. And then externally, I'm defined by the world by my consumption. So I'm consumed internally and consuming externally. What can I buy? What can I purchase? What can I eat? What can I live? How can I pursue the beautiful life, et cetera, et cetera? So whenever the world is dealing with us, when it's dealing with you and when it's dealing with me, according to our outward living, it's always just trying to get us to buy something to eat or buy something to wear, or buy something to drive, or buy something to live in, or buy something with which we can, we can find our own identity or our own status. So this is, this is the way that the world wants us to think of humanity. What, what, what am I? Well, I'm, I'm a various pile of consumption and consumedness. I'm, I'm, I'm eating and I'm, I'm devouring and I'm being devoured. That's that's who that's who the world wants you to think you are. Now that is wrong. It's totally wrong. And it's obnoxious and it's painful. It's a painful and it's an ugly way to live. It's so diminished. It just makes us into one big mouth. This is a, this is a problem with St. Paul says that the pagans are like this that their god is their belly. It's just rah, rah, just consuming everywhere you go. It's just a matter of just taking in as much as possible and trying to avoid being taken in by other people. It's just terrible but if that's wrong what's right how do we think rightly about ourselves well if we can use these four theological pillars that we're talking about that we are created and god is incarnate that we are redeemed and that we are headed for the resurrection this gives us a beautiful picture of of humanity that we are created in god's image you are listen you are created in god's image now that image was lost but there's this remnant of it and it's restored in christ because god has come down and joined himself to your flesh and blood and become your brother that's the 
Can you, ima- can you imagine anything better than to find out that the one who created the universe, the God of all things, has, has become your brother, but not only that, that he's taken on your sin and your guilt, and he's died for you so that you are redeemed, so that God, God has come to you and he's rescued you, he's redeemed you, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. And this means that on the last day we will be raised and we will dwell with him forever, ever. Now that is a that is a wonderful way to understand myself. And I'd suggest it's a pretty good way for you to understand yourself. That when you look in the mirror, you know this whole thing about when you look in the mirror, what do you see? And you and you're supposed to speak these positive affirmations and all this sort of stuff. Well, here, look at when you look in the mirror, dear friend, when you look in the mirror, you know what you're seeing? You're seeing a creation of God that's fallen, but you have a brother who's Jesus, and he has spilt his blood for you so that that body that you look at in the mirror is the same body that will be raised on the last day perfect to stand before the Lord in glory with nothing separating you from his goodness and his love. That, that is phenomenal. I mean, it's just... And and also, this tells you how to think of your neighbor. It's not just when you look in the mirror how you think of yourself. It tells you how you're supposed to think about the person standing next to you. When you look at the person next to you, that's a person that's created by God, that has Jesus as their brother, that is redeemed by the Lord Jesus, and that will be raised with you on the last day and mustered before the throne of God. Now, that, if that doesn't help you teach, if that doesn't teach you or inspire you to love and care for your neighbor, how can you po- Luther preaches this when he preaches at Christmas. He says, how can you possibly consider anyone to be your enemy? How can you possibly consider any any neighbor of yours to, to how can you set your heart against them when jesus has decided to become their brother <laughs> i mean and this, this is all your neighbors it's even the neighbor that hasn't been born yet it's even the neighbor over there that's diminished in their old age and and is according to the world no good to society i mean this this not only teaches us how to understand ourselves but it teaches us to understand our neighbor there. And it teaches us to answer all these other questions. Remember these worldview questions? Where did we come from? Well, we're created by God. Where are we headed? We're headed to the resurrection. What's the problem in the world? That we've fallen and lost the image of God. But what's the solution? Well, the solution is the death of Jesus. God in our flesh dying for our sins. It's just just fantastic. So the next time you get a hard question, one of these like three-year-old philosophy questions, like where do we come from? What's the purpose of life? What, where, what's the goal of things? I want you to remember these four theological pillars, creation, incarnation, redemption, and resurrection, and see how helpful that is to help sort these things out. Ah, I think it's great. All right. I'm getting the note from the studio that Pastor Ketchermeyer's on the line. He's probably over there chomping at the bit to get going. So we'll be back. We'll go to a quick break. We'll come back and have him on the line, see what he's interested in. Thanks for listening to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is the day which the Lord has made.
for the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for me. Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. This week on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller introduce us to the book of Zephaniah. We'll continue our series on Lutheran Catechesis, talking with Pastor Peter Bender about the Tenth Commandment and David coveting Uriah's wife. And we'll discuss the Sacrament of Holy Baptism with Pastor Paul McCain of Concordia Publishing House. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Welcome back to CrossFoods. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfman, and I've got Pastor Brian Ketchup, old Brian. Hey, old Brian, how are you? Hey, I'm doing all right. Yeah, Pastor Brian Ketchup, is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. He's author of Reading Isaiah with Luther. Huh? That's the name of the book? It is. Reading, Reading Isaiah with Luther. He's also the host of the Redeemer Theological Academy. He teaches Old Testament for the Wittenberg Academy. Uh, he stood next, hey, Pastor Ketchemeyer stood next to me. Can you, can you believe this was almost 20 years ago when Carrie and I got married? Uh, he was the best man right there. That's great. So this go this, this conversation goes back a long time. So Pastor Ketchemeyer, welcome to Cross Defense. Hey, it's been great to be, uh, the best man in your life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the best ever. The best. Who can I pick to make me look good? Ah, hey, hey, old Brad, what are you doing? So what do you got today? What's on your mind? Well, here's what I, I want to talk about is the, the forgiveness of sins. How about that? And uh, yeah, specifically, the forgiveness of sins as the foundation of marriage, all right? And the foundation uh -huh. of marriage, and we want to look at two places in particular. We want to look at Ephesians, and we want to look at Colossians. And in both of these places, God teaches us about the calling of this vocation of husband and wife. So first of all, you're going to see this foundation in Ephesians chapter 4, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then we go to Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So I want to see that as the foundation of marriage. So I want to, so let maybe take a back, to take a step back and then to ramp up to this, because Sometimes when we say forgiveness of sins, it's it's interesting. It, that 
the Bible talks about confession of sins and forgiveness of sins in three probably distinct ways. The first is the forgiveness of sins that comes from God himself through the death of Jesus. This is the atoning death of Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross to win us the forgiveness of God himself. There's a second kind of forgiveness, which is when one sinner sins against another sinner, and now we are forgiving one another our trespasses. And then the third type of forgiveness is when a Christian is actually absolving on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is like a, the breathing on the Holy Spirit where Jesus says, forgive one another their sins, and that's where you're forgiving a sin that wasn't particularly committed against you, a sin committed against God, but a Christian is is forgiving it. So this forgiveness of sins that we're talking about here is that second type of forgiveness, the Christian forgiving the sin that's committed against them, right? Right, 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 right. And and speaking that word of forgiveness, that's the good word of God, the good news uh, because of Christ, that we actually have uh, peace with God through Jesus Christ. And so that's that's bringing peace back between each other. Uh, this uh, language of vertical, of course, with God. We now have peace with God because of Christ. But now on the horizontal plane, uh, we are then to live out this life of forgiveness and reconciliation with uh, our sisters and brothers. I mean, to use the language that you talked about earlier with uh, Christ becoming our brother. Ah. Huh. Now, it's one of the things that happens in the Garden of Eden, right? That, that here, when Adam and Eve fell... They're set at enmity with one another as well. So Adam says, the woman that you gave to me, there's this enmity there already. But when when we have this restored peace with God, the intent is that peace now spreads to one another so that we have peace, especially in the home, right? Husband and wife? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that of course, in the garden, that's where God is going to establish the home to begin with, uh, the whole institution of marriage itself. And what we have is we are living on this side of the fall into sin, and we are, are living in this uh, fallen world that's just falling apart. I mean, all these things are, are coming to pieces, and, and that's what happens in any kind of a, a situation in which we are interacting with fellow sinners. I mean, we're all sinners. We're, we're all sinners who are now conceived and born in the image and likeness of Adam the rebel, the one who rebels against God, and the one who separates from God, and the one who continues to separate from each other. And in this uh, Ephesians and Colossians, I, I think that it's, it's fascinating that in both these places, Paul kind of has this natural progression where he will talk about our calling in baptism, so that we have this new identity, and we're to dress in the new man, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I mean, we lost that, uh, of course, in the fall, right? Well, we're, and now we're in the image and likeness of Adam. But it is Christ who is the true image. He's the one in the mystery of the incarnation is going to restore creation. And so, like, and for instance, in Ephesians chapter 4, immediately you talk about the calling and baptism, that God calls us to this new life, to this new way of thinking, the new way of speaking, the new way of acting, that the Holy Spirit has given to us in this renewal, uh, this gift from God. It flows right from there in Ephesians 4, 
into that passage, therefore, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away, taken off, thrown away. That's the old way of doing things uh, with all malice. Instead, we are to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And now you see this pattern here in, in Ephesians, that we're talking about our, our calling in baptism, and that this is this new way of walking. And then immediately you go into Ephesians chapter 4, where it's now talking about a unique calling and vocation from God in this place and the station of a wife and a husband. And it is also interesting that it, it, you go with the wife first, and remember Eve was the one who was deceived to begin with by the devil. And so first you speak this word to Eve and you say uh, to the wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. And then in Ephesians, you, you progress to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So you, you see this pattern here in Ephesians, and we'll see a duplicate in Colossians. But I, I want to stop right there and have you process that in Ephesians. Well, there's a couple of things that I want to bring up then. So it, uh, there's some... Baptism is one of these theological topics that uh, we're, the whole the church is not on the same page. So there might be some people listening. They're like, "Hey, baptism is great. When we're baptized, we become the children of God. When we're baptized, our sins are forgiven. When we're baptized, we put on Christ. When we're baptized, we're adopted into the family of God. When we baptize, we're baptized, we receive the Holy Spirit, and and our sins are forgiven. All the, kind of the biblical text. But some people might be listening. They say, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. Baptism is just an." Uh, outward side of an inward grace, or baptism is simply the first act of obedience. Baptism is a symbol. What, what, why? It doesn't make sense to start this idea of the renewed Christian life with the topic of baptism. So maybe just a little primer on what the efficacy of baptism according to the scriptures, and and why it is that Paul is always putting the talk of baptism right before he talks about how we should live as Christians. Again, in the Garden of Eden, you have Adam who's created first. He, he's formed from the ground, right? And Adam is going to be in the image and likeness of God. Likewise, so is Eve. Eve is built from the side of Adam to, to be this building to, to house inhabitant uh, life, life itself within her womb. But Adam and Eve originally are going to be children of God. Adam is a, quote-unquote, son of God. I mean, you get this in the genealogy of Jesus, of course. And so we, we talk about this concept of the fatherhood of God for all humanity, and this goes back to Adam in the garden. However, when we lose that image and likeness of God, things go astray and they go awry. And that original man who loses that image, of course, is given the, the Ten Commandments as another image of God. But the Ten Commandments, the law of God, God's eternal will, that doesn't change us, restore us, redeem us, or renew us back into the image of God. You need another who is the true image of God, the absolute image of God, the true man. And this we see in the Incarnation. And where do we see the true man, the true begotten Son of God in whom he's well pleased, well, this begins in the waters of holy baptism at the Jordan River, in which the voice of the Father from heaven says, Behold my Son, in him 
I'm well pleased. Mm. He's mm. the beloved one. And then the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove, visibly, tangibly, for the people to see, and of course, Christ to see. But immediately, that's where uh, Christ is going to be tempted by the devil. If you really are a son of God or the son of God, prove it. Well, this flows into the whole theology of baptism in Paul's letters, so that when Paul talks about us being the beloved, or beloved, we are beloved in Christ, who is the beloved, that Christ is the only begotten Son. So when Christ uh, is the one who does what we fail to do, he dies for our sin, he rises for our justification, and now he's giving us the remission of sin, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, and we are being formed and shaped into the image of God that we lost, Christ, the true image. And so when Paul will talk about baptism, he talks about this language of putting on Christ, being clothed with Christ, the true righteous one, uh, that we are all sons of God by faith because we have been clothed with Christ in baptism. Paul will talk about this clearly in Galatians chapter 3, but that's a different epistle. But, but this is the whole idea of adoption, that Christ is the true begotten Son, the only begotten Son, and now we are adopted by grace and made partakers of the inheritance in God's kingdom and part of God's family. I think a lot of people miss that. That's a famous verse, John 3.16, um, that uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that so that there's one son one that's what it says jesus is the only begotten son of the father so if we want to be children of god it's not by begottenness but it is as we're talking about by adoption or by being found in the only begotten by being found in christ now we're part we're adopted into god's family so that so that baptism grafts us in we put on it's a beautiful picture from galatians 3 and all who have been baptized have put on Christ so that we, we wear Jesus like a uniform or like a, a cloak that covers our own sinfulness. It's the white robe of his own righteousness. The other, the other thing, before we leave the Ephesians text, Paul says here, so it's verse four, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 32, Forgive one another, even as God in Christ, has, for, even as God in Christ forgave you. So there is this connection between the forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ and the forgiveness of sins that we give to one another. And so to maybe to say a couple, I'm going to have you say a couple things about that. And, and maybe to also the, the order, because, because first Jesus forgives us. And then as a fruit, we forgive one another. I think sometimes people have this, they hear in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And they think if we forgive the person that sins against us, then we'll have access to the grace of God. But it goes the other way around. We're, we have the forgiveness of sins in Christ, and then a fruit of that is our willingness, even our ability to forgive one another. So, so talk about that a little bit. God forgives us in Christ, and this is where we need uh, the atoning sacrifice of Christ. We need the shedding of blood, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So it is as Christ has forgiven us. that. And think of this, this understanding here of as Christ has forgiven us, uh, that Christ forgives us, he dies for us while we are still yet enemies of God while we are still yet 
sinners while we are still yet in rebellion openly against God. That uh, the, the state of, uh, of affairs that we have now in this fallen world with original sin is we're corrupted in our hearts, and our hearts uh, don't want to do God's will. In fact, our hearts are inclined and we desire to do wicked things. I mean, that's really what we want. That's what we will. But God is giving us this picture that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, Christ dies for us. And that's the kind of forgiveness that we have. I mean, that's the kind of love uh, that we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. And greater love knows nothing except this. I mean, that, that one lays down his life for his friends. But even more so, it's the friends who can't stand him. It's the friends who who, who don't want to have anything to do with them. I mean, so then when you take this to the husband and wife, I mean, this isn't a situation where husband and wife are at each other's throats, if you will. I mean, things like that can and do happen in a fallen world where things fall apart. Even marriages fall apart, right? But but it's that while we were still enemies, while we were still spitting on Christ, while we were uh, hitting Christ, uh, he is dying for us to forgive us. Hmm. I've, you know, Jesus tells the parable of the, the servant who doesn't, he owes the guy like a bajillion dollars, and he goes and he begs for time, and instead of giving him time, he actually forgives the debt, and he says, hey, uh, your sins, are, your debt's forgiven, go out and and uh, rejoice or whatever. He doesn't throw him in prison. And then he goes out and he finds the guy that owes him 200 bucks, and he throttles him. He grabs him by the throat and he strangles him and he throws him in prison. And the guy begs for mercy. Same words. And he doesn't give it. He demands everything. And I, I, I've been thinking about that particular parable because if that guy just went... Let's say the pretend, let's pretend that the king said, okay, you got to pay your debt, but I'll give you more time. Well, then it would have been right for him to go out and find everybody who owed him a penny and squeeze him until he had the penny out of him in order to pay back the master. So that if you still owe to the king, it's fine for you to demand justice. But as soon as the king forgives you your debt, now it's it's an act, it's an offensive act of 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 unbelief and and unthankfulness to the king to go out and demand justice from everyone who ought to give it to you so that it's the grace of god which which gives shape to our mercy and our love for one another it's as god has forgiven us that that now means that we're not squeezing every bit of justice out of our neighbor now, before we go too far uh, away from this, I, I want to just follow up with this idea that the king forgives a debt. I mean, still understand that debt needs to be paid. And so the person who pays the debt is going to be the king. It's going to come out of his pocket. Mm, that's I mean, so it's still paid. Yeah, yeah, that's great. No, that's perfect. So that, so that when we see Jesus, when we, when we have this sense of our own sin, and Jesus and Jesus pays it. All the wrath that we owe to the justice and holiness of God is paid by the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Now we are set in this world to be merciful people, to not demand all the things that are owed to us, but in fact to be, to be, uh, what? To be generous, to be kind, to be, to be forgiving. And this is what it means to be adopted into the family. And when God is the one who can make sons of Abraham out of the stones, he can come and adopt us and make us his children. And the idea in the image of children is the idea of growing, the idea of maturing, that you are growing up into the way of the Father, to be like the Father who is giving and 
before giving. So to be children of God, to be sons of God, is to begin to act like your Heavenly Father. That's great. All right, Pastor Katrabar, we're going to go to the break now. I'm going to go early because we always run out of time on the last segment. So we're going to go to the break now, and we'll come back and talk about Colossians. And then talk. we haven't really talked. We've just been talking about forgiving each other our sins, but what about, what does it have to do with marriage and husband and wife? That'll be helpful and handy and practical. So stay stay tuned. If you're listening out there through the break, we'll be right back. Pastor Brian Katrabar, you're listening to Cross Defense. I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson with a win-win offer for your congregation or organization. If you will commit to being a church or organization of the week during the Lenten season, uh, just commit during Lent. You can pick any week you want. You're going to receive $200 off the regular price of $850. You win because you're taking advantage of an evangelistic opportunity. Here's what you get for being a church of the week. Inclusion in every hourly 10-second station ID. 35, 32nd primetime announcements. Also, your pastor will be interviewed on one of KFUO's morning programs. It's a tremendous mission outreach. Please call me at 314-996-1520. Who knows how many people will be in heaven as a result of having heard the gospel over worldwide KFUO. I look forward to hearing from you. That's 314-996-1520. Elvis Presley sold an estimated 600 million records, yet he won only three Grammys, all for sacred or inspirational performances of He Touched Me and How Great Thou Art. Elvis had his demons, as suggested by his untimely passing in 1977 at the age of 42. But his personal Bible, received as a gift in 1957, reveals another side to the king of rock and roll. Just below Psalm 11.1, Elvis had written, In the Lord I place my trust, and he will guide me. Below Psalm 81, he wrote, Sing the Lord's praises. Elvis owned several Bibles, including one on display at Museum of the Bible. Engage with the Bible and its impact on history, culture, and art. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. All right, welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer, who's pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church down there in Los Alamos, New Mexico. When you're Next time you're hanging around Los Alamos, you go see him at Redeemer. Not many people drive through Los Alamos. you got to go to it. You, you never, ever go through it. <laughs> it's way up on the hill. It's like it's hard to get out of it once you're there. That way for the Manhattan Project. Yeah, that's right. So, Pastor Ketchum, I was talking about forgiveness of sins, and he, we're talking about Ephesians 4. Now, Colossians is what the next verse. Are, we, are you ready to move off Ephesians 4? Well, just just one more thing, just so that we're clear about the whole understanding of baptism here. That when you talk about husband and wife, that picture of Christ in the church, this mystical union that we have, we immediately in Ephesians chapter 5 talk about baptism. That Christ gave himself up to sanctify her by cleansing her with the washing of water with the word. And so this is what Christ is doing in his gift. Of, of baptism, which is the good, the good news, that it's the gospel in a water form. 
Well, the same thing will happen in Colossians. So we're talking about baptism in Colossians, and to be clear, in a Colossians chapter 2, uh, when we, we specifically address baptism first, saying that you've been circumcised with a circumcision without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh. This is that whole language of, of taking off the, this, this old body, this old nature, this old way of doing things by the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. That, that, that death and resurrection of Christ, in baptism we have that promise of God, that it is God's act to unite us to Christ. And that's the idea of this mystical union, being with Christ in his death, in his resurrection. And then you, you take that picture into uh, to marriage, that, that, that mystical union of husband and wife, so that uh, what the husband has becomes the wife's, and what the wife has becomes the husband's. Christ, uh, of course, is, is given up uh, his life on the cross, taking our sin and then bestowing his righteousness upon us. But, but we want to see that baptism there in Ephesians 2, so that when we get into Ephesians 3, and we talk about this new identity and this new way of walking and newness of life, that we are to struggle against this sin and not let this sin have dominion over us. And this is where Paul will teach us and say, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old Self, that old Adam with its practices and have put on the new man, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Oh, man. And again, that's, that's the image. Christ is the true image. Christ is the true Son, the only begotten Son, the Beloved One, in the waters at the Jordan where we hear the voice of the Father. And then in our baptism, you have the voice of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as we're baptized into the name of the Blessed Holy Trinity. And that's Colossians chapter 3, which then moves into immediately put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. See, this is the language of beloved. The beloved Son at the Jordan River, and now we are beloved by the Father in our own baptism, that we have compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, well, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And, of course, above all, be dressed or put on love, uh, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, so that we're being shaped and molded into this image of the true Son of God, so we are beginning to walk in newness of life and beginning to act like Him in our bodies. That's fantastic. I, want, I, I, wanted, I just had this picture that I was working on yesterday, I want to put it, but it's from Colossians 2.14. So you were talking about this baptism, buried with him in baptism, Colossians 2.12. Colossians 2.14. So, okay, so I just want to put this picture, and then we'll go back to the Colossians chapter 3. If you can imagine that there's the Ten Commandments, and there's a scrap of paper. It has the Ten Commandments, and it has written on them all of your sins against the Ten Commandments. So, like, someone's going to bring an accusation against you, and so they've written down notes so that they know how to accuse you. And then God takes that that sheet of accusations written against you and he puts it against the cross 
and then right over it goes the hand of Jesus, and the nail goes through the hand of Jesus, through that sheet, into the cross beam, and the blood of Jesus washes all those things away. I think that's the picture. It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken and taken those out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is a beautiful picture of the redemption that we have in Christ. That, that how He forgives and washes away our sins. What do you think? What do you think about the, just the picture there? Yeah, and this is the, the same kind of a picture that Paul will use when he talks to the baptized in Galatia, when he talks about Christ becoming a curse on the tree. Cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree so that we would be blessed in him. That, that his hanging on the tree, his being nailed to the tree, uh, this is where we have redemption. This is where we have the forgiveness of sins. All of our sin has been placed upon him. So Jesus has made us new. He, with the old, the flesh is taken off. The new man is put on, and then, and 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 one of the marks of the new man is this love and affection, this kindness that we have for one another. And then, he starts talking about husbands and wives. So that's the connection that we want to see, right? is where you have your calling from God in baptism. God has called you his beloved one, and now you have a new identity. Now you are uh, an adopted son of God by grace, and then now he places you into other callings in life. And one of the primary callings, of course, is wife and husband. And again, we see it in that same order, wife and husband. You go to Eve first, and then you go to Adam. That that word of the promise was spoken to Eve first, and then, of course, Adam can hear this too. Uh, but you're going to this vocation, the place where God has placed you, to now forgive your neighbor. Now to love your neighbor as Christ has loved and forgiven you. How, do you, how does that play out specifically in the, in the home with the gift of marriage? In that gift of marriage, when you put two sinners in one uh, small house or an apartment or one little small structure, you're going to get twice as much sin, right? <laughs> the more sinners you keep packing in the house, the more kids you have, the more sin that you're going to have in this house. And that's the place where God has placed you to forgive this person. So he gives the wife the gift of this husband to forgive. He gives the husband the gift of this wife to forgive. And it's in that closest proximity where as sinners, with that inclination to want to sin, we're going to rub each other wrong. I mean, you're, you're going to get a little bit frustrated with the closest neighbor to you, that that's the one that you are given to, to forgive. And even this whole gift of marriage itself is all tied into the idea of not committing adultery, not coveting a different uh, spouse than the one God has given to you, that this is going to be the place where the devil himself, just like in the Garden of Eden, is going to try to bring doubt to God's Word and try to separate us from each other and separate us from God. I was going to ask this earlier, and I can't remember if I did. If I'm repeating myself, you better tell me. Maybe I'm getting old. But I think one of the things that I see oftentimes is so one person sins against someone else, and then maybe they apologize, and the response is not, I forgive you, but the response is, oh, don't worry about it, or, oh, it's okay, or, oh, it's fine, I'm fine. This is the, and, we, and it's very difficult, very difficult for children, it's, it, for, for husbands and wives, for anybody to say the words, I forgive you. 
What, what's what's going on there? Why is that so much more difficult? Well, I think that we need to be trained in language. Uh, language is, is the common usage of the vernacular in which we uh, we are growing up in. And if we're not trained to use these words, it's not going to be part of our vocabulary. But but that whole idea of forgiving one another in words. I, I mean, I understand that God forgives us in words. God forgives us in action. So these two are tied together. So it's not merely just forgiving in words, but not really meaning it in your actions. So you also forgive in actions. And so we want to see this combination between the words and the words becoming enfleshed or manifest in actions. So it's the, the, really the forgiving is you're you're not holding that grudge against another. You're not holding that sin uh, above the head of another uh, that 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 person has committed against you. You know, so that all you see is that sin above the head of that person. So you you're you're releasing the person from that sin. Uh, but I, I think that we just have not been trained in this way. This is a Christian perspective of things. This is the way that God wants us to view life in a fallen world, a, a fallen world where the Creator comes to bring forgiveness by taking upon flesh and blood and then dying on a tree, uh, nailing all of this to the tree, setting it aside, all of that record, that debt that we owe, that He comes to do this. And that's how He wants us to see our lives in a fallen world. But the fallen world doesn't see our lives like that. So they don't see the forgiveness of sins. They just see it as, well, I did it this way, you did it that way. It's your opinion, my opinion. If you like it, you like it. If I like it, I like it. If it feels good, do it. I mean, it's a completely different perspective on how you live in a fallen world. Ah, there's so many things to talk about here. Now, I want to I'm going to just throw a couple of things out there, and then you run with something, because there's, there's this way that what you said a couple of minutes ago about how the devil hates marriage. I think it's really important for us to remember. There's this. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll talk to people, um, and they and they everything is great in their life and their conversation, and then they get married, and now all of a sudden there's, it's hard to love the person. Before they got married, it seemed easy. And was, look, you, you you have something so precious that the devil now wants it. He wants to attack it. He wants to destroy it. So that's that's one thing. The other thing is that it seems like sin compounds. So when one person sins against another. If I sin against Carrie, now she's mad at me, and when you're mad at someone or angry, what you've done is you've hardened the conscience, so it's easier to sin back, to treat them poorly. Then now I'm sinned against, and I'm angry, and now it becomes easier, and it just it puts it down. You start to go down the toilet bowl. You start to get in this kind of vortex of sin, and it's just getting worse and worse until you go from being angry to even considering the, the your spouse to be your enemy. And then the third thing that you said was you talked about releasing a person from their sin and that reminds me that the basic word in in greek for forgiveness is to loose or to let go or to set free uh to unbind so that there's a a way that we're not binding someone to their sin but rather we're setting them free i don't know what sticks out in that mess to, to talk about well just going back to the, the first thing about the devil hating marriage uh notice that Marriage is instituted before the fall into sin. So this is going to be one of the reasons why the devil hates it, because this is life before the fallen creation, before he introduces sin, before he introduces 
separation from God and before he introduces death and darkness. Okay, so he, he doesn't like that because it reminds him of the, the way things were. But it also is that image and the picture of the union between Christ and his church, that Christ as a husband is going to give up his life for the church to do what? To sanctify and to cleanse her. And we have that whole picture of baptism there. So the devil doesn't like any of this because it talks about the personal work of Christ. Well, even in marriage, this is also the place where we're going to have birth, uh, where we're going to have the promise of the incarnation. The seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. So the devil doesn't like conception and birth either. Uh, He wants to promote this culture of death, and that's why he is so adamant on speaking the language of abortion, as if abortion is something that is good or merciful. I mean, the devil is a liar, he's a deceiver, and people buy into all this stuff. So the two things the devil really hates, of course, is the marriage between a man and a woman as God has instituted it, and of course the conception and birth of a child through that union of one flesh. The devil hates both of those, because it talks about the personal work of Christ to redeem us from our sin, to release oh, us from him. It is how the devil puts everything on its head, so so to be... Uh, he 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 wants us to think of marriage as a bondage, you know. Like remember the old guys used to talk about the old ball and chain for their wife. That's just it's horrible. So it's it's like being single as a ball and a chain. It's it's a freedom is found in marriage. Now some people can can bear it, I suppose. But but the, this whole talk of uh, of of sexual liberty or sexual freedom, not recognizing that that leads to death, not to to life. Uh, so the devil turns everything on its head and, and wants to make it look like God is the one who's who what is mean or restrictive when really he's trying to squeeze us in to, into the coffin. It, it, it's uh, it's a terrible deception. Well, God is a God of order. The devil is uh, a a spirit of sadness and disorder. I mean, he, he's a deceiver, and so this is what he always tries to do. Is he tries to bring chaos where God puts everything together, where God is building, the devil is always demolishing. I mean, these are all the tricks of the devil. He's trying to deceive us into seeing things from his perspective, which is a sinful perspective. We're, uh, we're going to get cut off by the time again, Pastor Ketchabire. You So 30 seconds, wrap it up with the forgiveness of sins in marriage. In marriage, of course, what we see is that picture of Christ and his church. And so because of that picture, because of that promise, in the forgiveness that we have in Christ, this is the forgiveness that we are to live in the household. It's, it's, a, it's a small picture, an inkling of paradise restored, the new heavens and the new earth that we're waiting for on the last day, and we begin to make this a reality as we start to walk in the new way of things in our own household. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sins. So that, because we are loved by God, we, we love one another. God God be praised for that. Pastor Brian Katchemeyer is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. And I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, your host here on Cross Defense, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Igniting your imagination with this joy of theology, the jo- because the joy of theology comes down to this, that God was not pleased to leave us. They are naked, standing in in hatred and envy with one another in the garden. But he's come down into our flesh to bear our sins, to pay the price for our redemption, so that we we can be his forever, so that we can have an open door to eternal life. And on the last day, when we're raised from the dead, we'll stand before the Lord and stand before each other 
face to face in the fullness of humanity, rejoicing in his kindness, rejoicing in his mercy, worlds without end. God be praised for that. Talk to you next week on Cross Defense. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Hey, thanks for being a downloader of and a podcast listener to Cross Defense. I really appreciate it. There's a lot more theology, though, but between the episodes that come out every week. If you're looking for more, you can visit wolfmuller.co. We've got other audio, video resources, blog stuff there and stuff. Uh, one of the things that we you can do if you're interested in this sort of theology is subscribe to the Wednesday Whatnot. Links are also on the website, wolfmuller.co. Thanks for being a listener. Look forward to talking to you again next week. God's peace be with you.